welcome to the Scripture Study Project, our podcast that gives you a fresh and faithful study perspective of the scriptures that we hope will renew your excitement for your own personal study and help you passionately teach what you are learning to others. We are your hosts, Zach and Krista Horton, and are looking forward to this week's study. Another, actually we're ending out the book of Acts. Mm. We're going to be studying in Acts of the Apostles chapters 22 through 28. We asked last week for this and we want to reiterate it one more time. We got a lot of responses last week and so we hope to get a couple more this week as well. But um, this is our last week for starting our episode with a doctrine. The last couple of episodes, the last two or three months, we've been beginning each episode with a doctrine that either most of them have ended up being drawn from the text the scriptures we're studying, but some haven't been. Just doctrines that we wanted to to clarify or provide maybe a fresh and faithful perspective on. Today is our last one. And starting next week, what we would love to do is to answer um, or study some questions that are submitted by you. Um, we've gotten a lot of these over the years, and uh, we've tried to answer them here or there, but we would love to to have more um, to give you more of a voice in the podcast. Uh, questions about a particular scripture block, questions about um, particular doctrine in the scriptures, uh, questions about us and study methods, study or methods, teaching yeah, ideas, any of that. And these might be answers too. We're not saying that we're the experts on all of these things, but we would definitely like even use these opportunities to get insights from other people. Um, and kind of share those on this platform here. Yeah. So it could be something fun. Yeah. So if you're willing and if you're interested, uh, send us a message. You can email us at um, scripturestudyproject at gmail.com. You can direct message us on Instagram or Facebook. Um, you can come knock on our front door. You can send us a telegram. You can Morse code us. You can smoke signal. You can. I don't know Morse code. We will learn Morse code for you. If that's how you choose to communicate with us, <laughs> we will learn Morse code. But in any way that works for you, send us those questions, and uh, next week we'll dive in. So, okay, our final doctrine is the doctrine of commandments. And this is perhaps a really simple doctrine, um, but there are two things that I think we might misconceive about commandments, about what they are and why we have them. Um, the first one is commandments are often viewed as a restriction in some way or another, something that we cannot do or something that we have to do. And there's a lot of kickback against that, perhaps in our current era more than ever before, with people claiming that the church has no right to tell them how to do X, Y, or Z. While I understand that point, and I can understand the feelings behind that, a careful study of the scriptures, specifically a block like 2 Nephi chapter 2, illustrates that commandments are not a restriction of agency, but actually lead to greater agency. So, for example, a lot of the commandments about uh, the things that we put into our body or the things that we do with our body, although they may limit the range of things that we can eat or drink, etc., or the things that we can do with our body, they end up leading to greater agency later on. So I'll always tell people, um, you know, when I'm talking to youth, for example, um, it may sound like 
the church is restricting you when it says you can't drink, uh, you know, coffee and tea or alcohol or drugs or whatever. You have a restricted menu of choices for things to put into your body. However, when it comes time to make the next important choice in your life, say college or marriage, etc., if you have um, chosen to put some of those things in your body, you now have a restricted selection. Um, either because the things you put into your body have have damaged that body or damaged your mind or damaged your your ability to think and conceive or um, someone that you might like I would say this to youth but imagine kneeling down and proposing to the person you think is just the world and her or him looking back at you and saying yeah sorry because of the choices you made earlier I don't want to and so it may seem like commandments are restricting, but in the end, they actually lead to greater freedom and greater agency. The scripture, or the I guess the phrase, scriptural phrase, that always comes to my mind with this one is from the Gospels, the truth shall set you free. Is it in John? I think somewhere? so, yeah. Um, and that's been really a freeing one for me, I think, in understanding these things, especially when you talk about the way that that Satan makes us feel. He kind of wants to diminish our capacities and diminish the way that we think of ourselves. I think a lot of the time, mm-hmm. I think when we open ourselves up to God, it becomes this open conduit to what he sees of us and what he wants us to do. And I think that putting barriers on ourselves by doing the things that aren't under the commandments can close that off. Yeah. I hope that makes sense without my illustration. That would surely be wonderful. Your hands did a great illustration. <laughs> Um, the second thing that we misunderstand about commandments is their purpose. And again, this may seem really basic, but um, you have the Savior in Second Nephi or Third Nephi 27, verse 27. What manner of men ought you to be? Verily I say unto you, even as I am. I think we miss sometimes that commandments um, our, are the manual for a godlike life. Um, these are specific things that God himself does or doesn't do to have the kind of life that he has. It's the whole point of commandments. They're not a test. They're not a trial. I hear people say that all the time. Well, the commandments are a test. Well, it's not a test. God already knows because of his foreknowledge. And so it's not a test to see if you're going to pass or not. It's preparation for a God-like life. Why does God have what he has? Why is he the kind of person that he is? Because he has governed his life in these specific ways. And if we want that same kind of life and that same kind of joy, he gives us commandments so that we know exactly how to get it. Do you have to follow them? Of course not. He gives you your agency to choose. He will not force his life on you any more than he'll force anything else on you. However, the plan is very clear. If you want a life with and like me, this is the way to do it. And because so much of that life is uh, so much bigger than we are, it takes practice, which is why we have immortality to practice obedience to these commandments over and over and over again until they become natural and part of our character. And when we talk about finding joy, I think, I think that's what it feels like. Um, you know, we talk about happiness, we talk about what joy is, and I think that's how the commandments can bring us happiness is as we grow closer to God that we feel more of that peace and joy and happiness. So keep the commandments, and if you're not, repent. Um, <laughs> sorry, join us in repenting, I guess. <laughs> All right, this week's study, um, I was thinking about this. Do you remember the book, The 
Oh, I don't remember the name of the kid, but it's the... Alexander. Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good... You're looking at my notes. The Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day, right? Where yeah. everything bad we happens just read to it the other day, actually, at the library. Every time I, I read this this missionary journey, this final missionary journey of Paul, I think of Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day. Because this whole missionary journey, Paul spends either tied up or bound or with his life threatened or on a doomed ship or shipwrecked or in prison... It's just, it's a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. Um, and yet, Paul gets to preach the gospel in front of some of the most powerful men in the Middle Eastern world, and even in the Roman world. Uh, his sacrifice is memorialized, and some of his most powerful teachings come while he's imprisoned in these different areas. And so it's a great example of God doing great things through trial and adversity. But there's one specific hardship that we wanted to focus on. Um, and I want to start it with this. This is an oldie but a goodie. There's a, a talk by Elder Spencer J. Condy from 1993. We'll link it in our show notes. Um, but it's called The Mighty Change of Heart. And in that story, he or in that talk, he tells this story. In January of 1975, on a dark rainy night in Tasmania, a 7,000-ton barge smashed into two pillars of the Tasman Bridge which connects Hobart, Tasmania with its eastern suburbs across the bay. Three spans of the bridge collapsed. An Australian family by the name of Ling were driving across the bridge when suddenly the bridge lights went out. Just then a speeding car passed them and disappeared before their very eyes. Murray Ling slammed on his brakes and skidded to a stop one yard from the edge of a black void. Murray got his family out of the car and then began warning oncoming traffic of the disaster ahead. As he frantically waved his arms, to his horror, a car swerved around him and plummeted in, into the abyss. The second car barely stopped in time, but a third car showed no sign of slowing down and crashed into the Ling's car at the edge of the bridge. Suddenly, a loaded bus headed toward Murray, ignoring his waving arms. In desperation, risking his very life, he ran alongside the driver's window. There's a span miss missing, he yelled. The bus swerved just in time and came to a halt against the railing. Dozens of lives had been saved. Now, Elder Condi will um, go on to say that this is part of his testimony. He's grateful uh, that the church is led by wise people that provide wise warnings. Um, but I'm always fascinated by the cars that don't stop. Um, why wouldn't someone listen to a guy who's frantically waving his arms and yelling at them to stop the car? And so in this episode, Paul is going to stand in front of multiple people, in front of Felix and Festus and Agrippa. He's going to talk to these sailors that he's on the boat with. And in each case, they don't listen, or at least they don't listen all the way. And I want to know why. I want to dissect why it is that people don't listen to apostolic voices of warning. And maybe from that, even identify why sometimes we don't listen. Um, and if we can identify those causes, those reasons why we don't listen, maybe we can take the first step in, first for ourselves, being more obedient to the commandments or the warnings from prophets and apostles, and maybe helping others do the same. Now, before we started recording this, Zach asked me, is this really a relevant question? Because the people that are actually listening to this podcast are probably people that are going to follow the prophet and really don't need this type of a discussion. But to my 
I guess my point in um, saying that this is a very relevant discussion is even someone like me recording this podcast needs this message. Um, I think that, and if it's not you, maybe it's someone that you know and love, a friend, a family member, um, or maybe it's something that you kind of struggle with on and off, or maybe it's to come with different things that... um, that we're commanded to do or asked to do. But I think this is an important discussion to have and relevant to all of us because we are one of the few, the only church with a living prophet guiding and leading us today. And I think it's important for us to place ourselves in these situations and say, would I listen? Where would my heart be? And I think maybe even the general question of reminding ourselves why we choose to follow, follow our leaders and follow prophets and apostles today. You know, as you're talking about that too, I just think how how true it is. We live in a world today where we're critical of everything. And so much of that does so much good. We are we are reevaluating a lot of old traditions, not just in the church, but in our country and in the world, and upturning some things that have really negative traditions. But of course, the flip side of that is then we, because we're criticizing and evaluating everything, sometimes we turn our critical lens on things that have done a lot of good um, and that critical lens can sometimes be damaging and so um, here's the brief overview of this study um, Paul's in Jerusalem and the people in Jerusalem are upset and they start to they're upset for a lot of reasons one of them is the governor um, this is the successor you know five or six times removed from Pilate is named Felix, and Felix is kind of a nasty guy. Um, he's very violent. He puts down any riots or, or any uh, any hints of sedition with uh, pretty violent means. And uh, so people in Jerusalem are upset. There's a lot of turmoil, and Paul gets blamed for a lot of it because of what he's teaching and preaching, and that he's um, the Jews are upset at him because he's preaching to the Gentiles and inviting, going in and being with them and inviting them into the church and it's a mess. And so Paul gets taken in front of Felix, the governor, to um, tell his story. And he tells Felix his story, his whole conversion story. Um, And so Felix is this first case study of someone hearing this apostolic voice uh, talking to them. And so we want to start first with Felix's response. Um, Felix will end up putting Paul in prison for two years. and that time, there's a changeover. Felix is replaced by Festus. Um, and as Paul comes out of prison, Festus gets visited by Herod Agrippa, or King Agrippa, as he's, as he's labeled in the scriptures. This is the uh, grandson of Herod the Great. And, um, and he comes to visit with his weird family member Bernice and it's Festus and Agrippa and Bernice that listen to Paul tell his story again and so we have two more case studies how does Festus respond to Paul and how does Agrippa respond to Paul so three individuals and three different responses and what we want to do is figure out why they don't listen all the way and what lessons we can learn for us and I think one thing that all three of these guys have in common that we're going to be discussing these situations is that each of them were leaders. They were over a certain amount of land, a space, people, and they were the men who were in charge. And Paul himself was 
we learn that he was hoping to get to these leaders. He was set up and ready and wanting to talk to these rulers. And that's why we, well, as we talk about the ship, we'll find out that that's why he was on that ship in the first place, wanting to be in prison so that he could get sent to Caesar. So this was him set up for this. He's uniquely situated, in fact, because he's uh, a trained Pharisee, so he can speak to a Jewish audience. Um, he is, of course, a converted Christian, and so he knows and can preach on his with his feelings and his passion and his own repentance. He's also a Roman citizen, and so he's well-versed in being able to speak to those with that background. And so he's this really great and unique tool that God has placed to do this work and put in front of these people at this time. So now as we look at these different situations, we're going to start with Felix. This is chapter 24, verses starting in verse 24. Um, and this is kind of me just par paraphrasing, but Felix and his wife, who was Jew, who was a Jew, um, sent for Paul. They listened to him on faith in Jesus. And he started speaking about maybe some of the commandments that we talked about, mm -hmm. about being righteous, about self-control, and about the judgment to come. And it says... Felix became afraid and replied, leave for now, but when I have an opportunity, I'll call for you. And it goes on to say that um, he would quite often call Paul up and talk to him as he was imprisoned. And so this kind of, to us, was kind of one of those, I'm intrigued because that kind of scares me what you're saying, but I don't really want to do anything about it. But maybe I do because I'm going to call mm -hmm. you back up to talk again. <laughs> so maybe we're labeling him maybe the dabbler where there's interest, but a little bit afraid of that commitment. It reminds me of people that I taught on my mission that we could have met with them every single day of the week. They were fascinated by the church and by the history and by the stories, uh, but there was never a desire to change because of what they heard. It was an intellectual fascination, uh, but not really a fascination of conversion or of, or of desire. I think that can also apply to those of us that are already members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, how often do we find ourselves in that same situation where maybe we don't know if we agree with something and we're afraid of maybe what the teaching are, what the teachings are, and we become noncommittal and maybe become that dabbler ourselves. I think that's a category that even us as church members could fall into. Yeah, or we reduce the gospel to an intellectual exercise only. I'm going to learn about this. Isn't that interesting? Look at this thing I've marked in my scriptures, but we don't let it penetrate to our hearts or to our actions. Mm. I think that actually happens a lot more than we think, yeah, too. Yeah, probably. Um, okay, so the next one, moving on into chapter 26. So these stories are kind of interwoven because Festus and Agrippa both kind of are listening to Paul at the same time. But Festus here in, um, as Paul is teaching in verse, chapter 26, um, in verse 24, as he was saying these things in his defense, Festus exclaimed in a loud voice, you are out of your mind, Paul. Too much study is driving you mad. Um, and I love Paul's response. I just have to add this in. I'm not out of my mind, most excellent Festus. <laughs> I kind of want to be there to see that, to see that exchange. Be a but fun one to watch. yeah, but this idea of of you know how often is that something where we hear something and we think you're crazy, mm -hmm. or maybe we have other people looking, looking at us doing um, something and following the commandment that we've been given that might seem crazy to other people, and they're seeing us do this. Yeah. Well, and then Agrippa, um, this is one that that I think gets misquoted a lot because the King James makes it sound like Agrippa, well, Agrippa's, and the King James says, Paul, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. 
and uh, we looked at some of the other translations and the actual translation is Agrippa's kind of sneering at Paul saying, you think you can convert me to be a Christian in such a short time um, is the better translation or with such little effort or such a small speech. And so you have Festus who's maybe calling him crazy, but there's a sense of respect there. Too much learning has made you mad um, where Agrippa seems to kind of sneer and mock him. And so both, both, I think things that we might be familiar with of people either respectfully criticizing church leaders um, or just outright sneering at them. And that's something that we often have to navigate and feel our way through. Or maybe even that's one that we look at other church members that are around us, the way that they choose to follow to do something. Maybe we can kind of have that judgment too. Mm, That's a great point. I love that those three stories can be viewed through kind of a self-evaluation lens, that we can use them to ask ourselves the question, how do I respond to the apostolic voice of teaching or warning? Um, the final story, the one, one of the ones that Luke chooses to end his, uh, his narrative with, is the story of Paul on the ship on his way to Rome. So at the end of chapter 26, Agrippa makes that statement that Paul could go free if he wanted to, but because he's appealed to Caesar, we have to send him to Rome. It's his right as a Roman citizen to claim that audience with Caesar to be tried by the Roman court, and so he's going to go to Rome, and so we've got to get him there. Of course, again, this is this is classic Paul. He'll say this all over in the Gospels. He loves being a prisoner for Jesus Christ because then he gets to preach to the judges and the lawyers and the courts and the people in power and authority. Well, chapter 27 is this fascinating story of getting Paul to Rome. And I think there is a huge symbolic element to Luke telling the story. So at the beginning of the chapter, uh, he's waiting in port. They're getting ready to board the ship. And Paul gives them this warning. This is verse 10. He says, Sirs, I perceive that this voyage will be with hurt and much damage, not only of the lading of the ship, but also of our lives. Translation, we shouldn't sail. Uh, Something bad is going to happen. They, of course, do not listen to Paul for three reasons. Verse 11, the centurion who's leading this trip back believed the master and the owner of the ship more than those things which were spoken by Paul. Verse 12, because the haven was not commodious to winter in, and the more part of the people advised to depart thence also, if by any means they might attain to Fenice and then winter. Three reasons why they didn't listen to Paul. Number one, the master and the owner of the ship, the trained sailor, says, no, we are not staying here. It's going to be fine. Number two, Uh, The particular port that they're in is not a good place to spend the winter. So if they listen to Paul and they don't sail, they have to spend the winter in port, which they don't want to do. And number three, everyone is saying we got to go. So they get on the boat and of course they hit a storm. It's horrible. And uh, later on they'll say, or Paul will say, essentially, you should have listened to me. Um, What fascinates me is those three reasons why they don't listen to Paul, and putting through that same self-evaluation lens those three questions to ourselves. So reason number one, they don't listen because someone with seeming power or authority or knowledge, etc., has a differing opinion. 
This is very common uh, in the world we live in today because there are so many quote-unquote authorities about so many things. Um, it And I'm going to soapbox here because this just drives me nuts. It bugs me when someone follows someone with a degree and uh, uses that that quote-unquote authority to make claims about the church, about its leaders, about social situations, about history, whatever. Um, I've got one of those degrees, and I can tell you the claiming of a degree means you are knowledgeable about one specific area, about one specific thing. And yet we treat people with PhDs or, or you know, whatever other letters at the end of the name like they're masters of everything. Um, or a PhD in one field means... A P, yeah, exactly. PhD. Master in another field, right? <laughs> or, yeah, right. I'll be the first person to say that uh, the, if anyone is worth their medal and has gone through a graduate program, they come out the other end not knowing more, but knowing how much more they don't know about everything else. And so to appeal to someone with worldly authority when it comes to spiritual matters, this may be strong. It's just ludicrous to me. Uh, if we really want information about our soul or about our spirit, there has to be an appeal to those that are authorized to to teach that kind of information. Um, a lot of times I see people that will give up things that have proven so true for them because some worldly authority says they shouldn't do it anymore. Number two, uh, they don't listen to Paul because it's uncomfortable. Listening to Paul means they're going to have to change, and we don't like to change. And how often does that happen where we don't listen because we don't want to change? And then number three, the classic peer pressure. They don't listen because everybody else is saying not to. And in a world where there are so many voices that are so easily accessible, that becomes a big problem too. I think Luke does this on purpose. Um, he's writing into a world where Christianity is under attack. And we're reading in a world where Christianity is under attack. And as members of the Church of Jesus Christ, where our specific brand of Christianity is under attack, where words of prophets and apostles are mocked or sneered at or ignored or taken intellectually or, um, or compared to the wisdom, quote unquote, of worldly authorities. And it's hard. It's hard to stay true um, to those things that we that we feel are true. Um, I think the purpose of this study is to help us not only check ourselves, but to recommit ourselves to, to following those voices that have never led us astray and that um, provide us with hope and truth and comfort. And of course, we couldn't talk about the boat story in the scriptures without thinking of um, the talk from Elder Ballard in October of 2014, stay in the boat and hold on. Now, he doesn't use this scripture story from Paul in this, but uses a lot of the same references and a lot of the same ideas. And as I was listening today, I thought, you know, I think this is more of a thing from Elder Ballard saying, come on, listen to us. We really do have something to offer you. Almost this, almost pleading. We're waving our arms on the bridge, telling you that the bridge has collapsed. Stop driving around us and driving mm -hmm. off the edge. Just listen. Yeah. And I think one of the things that I hold a lot of comfort and something that I hold dear is always that emphasis um, in our church and from our leaders that we can find out for ourselves. The scriptures tell us that, um, the prophets tell us that, that we can find out for ourselves. We have that conduit, like we mentioned earlier, that opening to God that offers us um, the chance to get us a real confirmation of what the prophets saying are true. 
Chapter 27, verse 21. After a long time, Paul stood forth in the midst of them and said, Sirs, you should have hearkened unto me, and not have loosed from Crete, who have gained this harm and loss. Um, however, verse 25, be of good cheer, for I believe God, that it shall be even as he told me. Um, there's a moment when they want to abandon ship because the storm gets so bad. And Paul says in verse 31, except these men abide in the ship, you cannot be saved. And there's where I think the symbolic hammer comes down. Um, I, I've been, I have a storied history with the church, but one thing that I am sure about is that everything I have done at the Council of Prophets and Apostles has benefited me either individually, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, or my family. My experience is being in the ship keeps me happy, keeps me safe, and leads me to where I want to go. Uh, I'm not perfect at it by any stretch of the imagination. There are plenty of times when I don't listen for any of the reasons that we, messaged, that we uh, mentioned today. But my testimony stays the same, that unless I stay in the boat, unless I hang on, then I can't be saved. Um, and so I trust prophets and apostles. I trust their voice. I trust their warning. Uh, and they've never, ever led me astray. And maybe that's just my experience and my testimony, but it works for me. You guys, thank you for studying with us this week. We hope that your study is awesome as you are. Have a great week. Thank you.